0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Call to the Bullpen. I'm David Payne with Brad Zampar and Jimmy Miller. And for the third season, let's play ball. We're back with season three here, and today we're going to be doing our top five players heading into the 2023 MLB season, as well as our first and second all MLB teams, uh, the preseason all MLB teams. Um, First, let's give a little rundown of what the show is going to look like this year. It's going to be a little bit different than last year, but not really that much. Um, so instead of quick hits, we're going to start our episode off with the chatting cage, which is our current event segment, but we'll give our thoughts on the current happenings in the baseball world. Then Jimmy will run through our major league players of the week. So our uh, American League and National League player, rookie, and pitcher of the week. Then Brad will take us through our minor league players of the week for each level um, from low A, high A, double A, triple A. Then we'll do our umpires of the week. As always, everybody's favorite segment on social media. Then we'll throw something fun in there each week a little bit something different and then the power and sour rankings will wrap up the episode um noticeably absent from that episode is the top five plays which are going to move to strictly social media owen's going to be doing those on tiktok and instagram going to give it all a better experience a more in-depth look at those top five plays and we're going to be releasing a little bit more about what our content schedule looks like in the coming weeks. We're still finalizing some things, coming up with some new ideas, but we're going to have a really cool slate of content for this 2023 MLB season. Now, without further ado, fellas, let's get in to the 2023 season, starting with a big news that came out just today, actually, is Manny Machado is staying in San Diego. Brad and I, being Orioles fans, we're kind of in the back of our minds hoping for a a reunion even though we knew it was you know never going to happen but we were hoping you know we had our hopes up but he's going to stay put in san diego he helped turn that team around and he's going to be there for the rest of his career 11 years 350 million dollars which for a couple minutes there it looked like he was the first 500 million dollar man in baseball history but uh, it appears that a little bit of his first deal got lost in that so Um, Not quite the $500 million man just yet, but they might have him on their roster already. Um, But what do you guys think of this deal? You think Manny made the right move staying put? He just came out like a week ago that he was going to test the market. The Padres got the job done pretty quickly. Um, So what do you guys make of this whole situation? Where are the Padres getting this money from? Did Manny make the right move? Not testing the market, what do you think?
1: I think that it was smart for Manny to stay put. I don't think he would have gotten 11 years elsewhere. I mean – Maybe we've gotten, I, I know like Cohen seems like he, he likes shorter deals with higher uh, average annual value. So I think that he wanted that security, man. He wanted, you know, to stay in San Diego 11 years. It's not like it's a bad team either. They're always going to be competitive. Um, overall, as a Mets fan, I'm kind of disappointed that, you know, he didn't test the market. But at the end of the day, you know, you'd rather lose him to an extension than lose him in free agency. So at the end of the day, you know, no, no win or no loss for the Mets in, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's definitely good for him to stay there, I think. He was he was there in 19 when he first got there, and they were just pretty abysmal. He t- kind of took some adjusting period there. But since that first year, he's really just taken off and really established himself as the premier player on the West Coast over there with um, Tatis obviously coming up under his wing. And I think that's going to be big for Tatis's career. Um, I think he'll be able to do a lot more having the leadership that Manny is going to give him. And I'm sure Manny just wanted to stay there, seeing the success and um, staying on the path of trying to bring the first World Series
0: championship to San Diego. Yeah, I think that Manny was kind of like the signing of Manny was the real turning point over there. You know, you sign Manny. A year later, they went with the full rebrand to the brown and gold. Then, you know, you extend Tatis. You bring in guys like Soto, Bogarts. Um, the, he's kind of the thing that kicked that whole thing off over there. I mean, you look at their fan fest from, you know, four years ago to their fan fest this off season and a, a, a sea of people. Now everyone within a 75 mile radius of San Diego is obsessed with the Padres now. So what they're doing is working. He was the face of it. The Padres were never going to let him get away on his part, probably never intended to opt out. If I'm being honest, like that was, more than likely a negotiating tactic to get them to pony up, knowing that the Padres were going to pony up. And I don't see any reason that they're not going to pony up with guys like Soto now too. I mean, If this is a business model that's working for them and everything that they've said makes it seem, I mean, they, they sold out their season tickets in a matter of minutes. They've got to see if people are just for fan fest. If this business model is working for them, why not keep it going? Do you guys think that Soto ends up staying there, or it's, is you know Soto going to be too out of the price range?
1: I think that Soto has a chance to stay there. I think you know he's a lot younger, uh, so I, I think there's a, there's a lot more out there. You know, a, a lot of teams are going to be willing to give him, you know, ten plus years compared to Manny, who's a bit older. You know, I, I don't think teams, you know, are with a lot of teams would not have gone that length with him eleven years. So. I think so, though. I think he ultimately goes back to San Diego, maybe extends. But um, I think the market for him is going to be so big that, I mean, I think he'd be crazy not to test it. But, I mean, winning can change that mentality. And if they can win uh, this year, then I think he'll really want to stay there.
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely going to end up testing the market. I don't think there's any number that San Diego could give him where he would say, yeah, I'm not testing the market. I want to see what somebody on the open market will give me. Uh, it's definitely going to come down to what he does this year and how they play. Because if they have a so-so year, limp into the wild card, get knocked out. uh, It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if he goes back there because I think he already has the world series, but he knows that he's the youngest player. That's going to get all this money. It's going to be tough for him to say, I don't want to see what I can do uh, somewhere else. I mean, he's coming here. He's going to be a three hitter, two hitter, whatever. And it's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of stats and stuff like that. But he could go be the centerpiece somewhere else because the way that they're cracking it right now, he's third on their pecking order of fans, I would say, because you have Tatis and you have Manny. So he's not really that centerpiece guy, although you can make the case he certainly should be. But it's it'll definitely be interesting to follow throughout the year. You could also make
0: the case that Tatis has kind of knocked himself off of one of those top two spots with everything that went down last year. So maybe Soto is number two over there. Um, but I think that we'd be silly not to test it. A guy who's going to be a free agent at his age of his pedigree, i very possibly could bring home a $500 million deal. So uh, it'd be silly not to test it, but I, I don't put anything past the Padres at this point, man. It's like every time that we think that they're done and they can't do anything crazier, they go and top themselves. So I, I wouldn't put anything past them, honestly. They, maybe they go out and they throw $900 million at a combo of Shohei and Soto. Like I, I honestly, I wouldn't be shocked to get the notification. Now somebody who uh, along similar lines every time that we think he screwed up the game of baseball you know and can't screw it up anymore screws it up uh, more again, Rob Manfred's pitch clock is in effect now and we've got our first taste of it and I just want to get your guys' gut reactions I and mean, we've only seen it for you know a really a day and a half of games but uh, what do you guys think based off of what you've seen so far of the, the 15 second pitch clock?
1: I mean, I, I don't think it's terrible. I, I think there needs to be certain maybe limitations or restrictions to it. Like, I don't know, like later in the game, maybe don't have the pitch clock like eighth inning and on. Um, you know, I, I I think, you know, innings one through five, you know, I mean, it's fine. But I think the more high leverage situations, the later you get in the games, you know, you kind of want that back and forth, that strategy, you know, not that, you know, rushed pitch clock. Uh, so I, I think that they should find a way to kind of mediate uh, the pitch clock and maybe make it so it's non-existent in the last two innings or maybe in certain situations, you know, kind of find that balance.
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I don't want to judge it off of just the game and a half, day and a half of games, but for the players to do, uh, it'll be a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe a month, where they start to get into the groove of, like, having to go. Like, there's no really any downtime. You just got to go in there, have your at-bat and go. So it, it, that's another thing. It's going to be interesting to follow through the season, but I think there definitely needs to be some sort of regulation to it because you're just taking away from the integrity of the game there. But uh, the ending that we saw the other day in the Red Sox-Braves game where it was 3-2, three, bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, I feel like that's a huge outlier, and it just happened to happen. Like, that was it. That was the one that ended the game. But I f- feel like that it's a very rare situation that hopefully we don't ever see.
0: I mean, I could see, like, why you would think that it's an outlier, but we're talking about four, like, almost 5,000 baseball games a year on the major league level. That's a lot of games, and that situation is going to come up. Like, it might be a small percentage of the time, but, you know, even 10% of that is 48 games where you have, you know, rough ending like that. That's a result of something like that. I I think that it sucks that that happens so early on into spring training too. If this was like the third week of the pitch clock games and that happens, then maybe it's a little bit easier to look at it and say, Oh, this isn't going to be a problem all that much, but it was the second day. It was like the fifth game with the pitch clock that that happened. So that's, it's not a good start. And my first impression is just that it's not ready yet. I just don't think it's there. I don't think that enough testing, enough regulation with it, it's just not there yet. I think that similar to what Jimmy said, I'm cut it off after the seventh inning or something. If you really want to speed up the first seven, go for it. But the last two innings, you got to leave it off. I and mean, you've seen, I'm sure on social media, the, the video of it was what would Harper's at bat in the NLCS look like with the pitch clock and you know there was that at bat where he hits the the huge home run there there was a lot of time in between pitches and that's the kind of thing like in a playoff environment like that in between pitches is so tense the crowd is on their feet like there's an atmosphere like a feeling beyond just like the tangible product that's gonna be lost there in some some big situations and I I agree that it's gonna be something where the guys are gonna adjust you know they're gonna they're not used to it yet. They're going to get the feel of, okay, I got 15 seconds in between. I got to go. I gotta. That's going to be fine on the player's end there. But you are sacrificing some strategy. You are sacrificing atmosphere. Um, and in, in extreme cases like that, you're sacrificing literally the integrity of the game and the outcome of the game. Um, so I'd like to see some kind of adjustment there. One
2: talking- thing I want to ask is if um, – what the fuck was it? Um, uh, should Do they have like a timeout? In like does the batter or the team that's batting have a timeout that they can take like during that 15 seconds, like one per inning or one per batter? I don't I don't know what it is.
0: In college, there's a certain time. It's like with five seconds left or something, you can't get time. Or there was the video of I think it was Tennessee playing where the batter is screaming time, 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 time over and over, and the umpire just can't grant it. Um, and then everyone you know. Blows their lid and rightfully so. I mean, you could sit there as the pitcher, theoretically, you could sit there for 14 seconds, make the batter kind of freeze in the box and get out of their rhythm and then just go on them and they can't call time or anything. I, it almost puts the pitcher like entirely in control of the game when you have a timeout rule like that. Um, but what I'm interested in, what's the deal with the World Baseball Classic? Is there going to be a pitch clock there? Is there not? That's something that we should look into because. We're talking about spring training as this adjustment period for these guys. Are these guys going to get super used to this pitch clock? And then in a week, they're going to go and play a tournament for three weeks with no pitch clock and then come back a week from opening day and have to adjust again. So that's something I'm really interested to look into because uh, that could totally – if there's no pitch clock there, that could totally mess with you know their adjustment period. But you're also talking about players from around the world. I don't know what the pitch clock – if there's a pitch clock in – Japan or Korea or Australia. I don't know what you know, so that's something that we should look into um, and you know come back with an answer for next episode. So we'll talk about the pitch clock a little bit again when we get an answer on that because that's something I'm really curious to find out. Now we're looking to get into our top five players here. We've got um, each position on the field as well as a DH and a utility uh, because utility got a Silver Slugger and a Gold Glove award, so we're going to give it a top five players as well um so i'm going to kick us off um on the catcher side of things here and brett and i had to put our biases aside for this one uh number five uh, we have alejandro kirk coming in there um had a great year last year after him is the new braves catcher uh, sean murphy and will smith is number three our guy adley rutschman is number two for now and jt romulo is holding down the number one spot for another year um, at least for half the year. I, we might run these again at the midseason. We might run these again at the end of season. Um, but for right now, Romuto holds that. I don't see him holding that for long. I think Adley's coming for that pretty quickly. Um, you, you're going to see what a, a full year of Adley Rutchman can do. Um, but do you, do you guys have any thoughts on the, the top five catchers list there?
1: No, I mean, I, I think it's pretty good in the sense that, you know, Will Smith, to me, he was the one, the number one catcher going into 2023, but he kind of fell off. Uh, real muto was great down the stretch. So, I think yeah, like like you said Adley's coming for that one spot, but I mean, you have to earn it and I think he will earn it, but yeah, Real Muto is definitely my one.
2: Yeah, I'm interested I'm interested to see what Murphy's going to do it at, in Atlanta because it's going to be the first time he's going to really have protection. So, I'm kind of wondering
0: what he's going to do over there. Yeah, he's going to have protection in the lineup and he's going to have a much better pitching staff than he had over in Oakland. He had guys like Montas and
1: Manea and whatnot for a little while, but way um, better hitters park too. Yep, and you look at catchers, right? Brian McCann, Travis Darno, you know they've had a bunch of good catchers in Atlanta recently. Yeah, and you know you mentioned Will Smith
0: being our number one last year, and I, I think that Romuto won being part of a, a World Series team that that led a team to the World Series, um, as well as i mean, twenty stolen bases for the guy is insane as a catcher. So. Uh, that's, that's something, too, that, that really sets him apart there uh, for now. Um, we're going to move to the first baseman now. We're at number five. We've got another Atlanta Brave in Matt Olson. Uh, Jimmy's guy, Pete Alonzo, Polar Pete, coming in as the number four first baseman. Vlad Jr. is our number three first baseman. The NL MVP, Paul Goldschmidt, is the number two first baseman. And the number one first baseman in baseball is Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers. Um, uh, you know, A lot of people would put the MVP at number one automatically just after coming off the triple crown year. But when it comes down to it, Freddie is a couple years younger and just more consistent. He's consistently, you know, a 300 average guy. He's consistent. You know what you're getting from Freddie Freeman every year. Um, and, and that kind of gives him the edge there, just that you, you know that you're getting a, a top three MVP finisher every single
1: year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you might expect some regression out of Goldie as well. You know, like you said, he's getting older, even though he is coming off the MVP. But yeah, Freddie just keeps hitting. Yeah, I mean, he might not be the best defender compared to uh, Goldie, who's won a bunch of Gold Gloves. But at the end of the day, you know, I'd rather have uh, Freddie on my team than Goldie. This uh,
2: this top five, I think, is probably our best of the whole positions, um, even career wise. I've mentioned this when we were talking about it, it's all, all five of these guys have a chance, a legitimate case if they stay on their trajectory to be hall of fame players. And that's definitely not something you see across lists, a, a top three list, nonetheless, the top five list.
0: Yeah. I'd say that there's maybe one other position, um, I'd say two other positions in right field and starting pitcher where you could look at all five as potential future hall of famers, um, which is you know, that we got 10, 11 positions here. So that, that's saying something. Now we'll move on to our second baseman coming in at number five. Uh, this one hurts me a bit. Cause I'm a, I'm a hater for sure. I'm definitely a hater of Glaber Torres, but uh, I like what he's done since moving to second base. I think that he got a, a unfair shake of things. Uh, playing shortstop for the New York Yankees, but he's our number five second baseman. Number four is uh, Luis Arias, brand new to the Miami Marlins, playing second base full-time now. Three is Marcus Semien, two, Andres Jimenez, and one, Jose Altuve. Um, But yeah, going back to labor, he just – he had such a bad shake of things as a shortstop there and then has been at his natural position and and been so much better there um, that he was able to crack the top five here at night. Think that I always thought that he could be a top five second baseman, um, but he was a a bottom five shortstop. So it's it's good to see him kind of rebound there.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, as you know, the the hype around Glaber coming up right those first few years. I think he made the All Star uh, team in both those years. Um, He's a good player. I mean, you you would like to see him step up and maybe have a little bit of a better you know slash. You know, he doesn't hit for average. uh, You know, the the OPS you'd like that to be over eight hundred. You know, you'd really like to see him step up. You know, they need uh, Lemayhew and Glaber to step up this year if they want to make the playoffs and go deep.
2: He was never a shortstop to begin with. They kind of just screwed him out, the, out of just necessity. But um, overall, I think he's definitely on a – he could definitely be a solid second baseman in the league. He's, he's definitely going to have to do a lot more for the Yankees then what they kind of hope for because, you know, DJs, they need DJ, but he's also, was he 30, 33 now? He's he's gonna getting up there in age. Uh, Torres is kind of the future of that middle infields, whether they move uh, Peraza to third or they move, um, or if they move Glaber to third, but I don't think they'll mess with that. I think they'll stick him at second still, but Torres is definitely going to be a big part of what the Yankees are trying to do offensively this year.
0: Yeah, you'd really like to see him step uh, into like a leadership role this year. Haven't been around for a little while now. Been on a few playoff teams. And when you've got younger guys like Peraza, Carrera, Volpe, all coming up in the infield, um, definitely looking to him as a a, mentor there. So that'd be a nice role to see him take on this year. Now to another stacked position at shortstop. We've got number five, Corey Seager. Number four, Frankie Lindor. Number three, Xander Bogarts. Number two, Carlos Correa. And number one, Trey Turner. Um, Personally, I was a a Correa number one guy myself. But I think that Trey in that Phillies lineup um, is going to do some serious damage. I think that the maybe defensive miscues aren't going to matter as much when he's in that kind of um, environment that, that's going to really foster his offensive success. I think, especially with the new rules, Trey kind of gets a little bit of boost in his overall stock with some bigger bases and the, the pitch clock, making it a little easier to feel bagged. Um So I do see him getting a little bit of an uptick in value there. Uh, what do you guys think of the rest of the shortstop list?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Correa, you know, that that crazy offseason, you know, I, I don't really think he wants to be uh, in, in Minnesota, so that might affect his play compared to, a guy like Turner, right, I mean, they once a guy goes to Philly, they love it there, uh, it seems. You know, they have a great rapport there amongst teammates, you know, a lot of star players there. So I, I think that uh, Trey Turner is going to blossom in uh, Philadelphia and obviously Lindor at four. You know, you would like to see him get back to you know his old Cleveland days, you know, just a little better hitter than he is now. He's still a pretty solid overall player, but he used to be like a 290, 285, 290, 30, 35 home run guy. He's kind of fallen down a bit, but I really think that he can step up back to where he was this year.
2: Yeah, that trade for um, the Mets when they traded for Lindor, it's really working out really good for both sides right now because they got Jimenez over there at second base, turning into a star. Lindor obviously has the ability to be the number one shortstop in baseball every year. And then the Guardians also got Ahmed Rosario, who's no pushover at short and plays a little outfield as well. Uh, that trade is one of the most recent that's uh, gone down as a win-win for both sides.
0: Yeah, and I think Lindor is one of those players where, like you said, he could be the number one shortstop any given year, but he could also be the number 10 shortstop any given year, which is why he kind of falls into that mid-range four spot there, just because of the un- unpredictability there. But I-, I do think that he's on a- an upward trend after you know kind of bouncing back last year. Now, rounding out our infield, we're going to our third baseman, uh, number five, newly extended Rafael Devers. Just ahead of him at number four is Austin Riley of the Braves. Number three is Jose Ramirez. Two, Nolan Arenado. And one, the also newly extended Manny Machado. Um, This is a tough list, man. This is a a good list where, I mean, your top three could really go in any order. And then four and five, you can kind of flip-flop as well. Um, but there's no wrong way to rank these top three guys here. Um, we like the pedigree of, of Manny. You know, he's got that leadership quality over there. He's uh, absolutely raking. Um, the, the defense is fantastic. It might not be quite to Nolan's level, but the offense is a, a little bit better than Nolan's level. So um, he gets the edge there. But this is one of the most stacked positions in baseball. And we've even had comments about, you know, other third basemen like Bregman, who you could make an argument for. Um, So I I think that there's, there's no wrong way to go with this group of guys right here.
1: Yeah. I kind of think of it like the first base, you know, the kind of that Goldie, Freddie uh, argument, you know, at the end of the day, um, I I kind of look at Manny as being more like Freddie, right. That consistent player on both ends uh, while Nolan's kind of like uh, Goldie in the sense that, you know, when they're both having great years, they, they, they could be that one, but You know, there's just kind of that unpredictability there, you know, as they get older, right. um, Nolan kind of struggled his first two years in uh, St. Louis didn't play up to par to where he was in Colorado. So I just need to see another 2022 season out of uh, Nolan Arenado this year to maybe put him in that one.
2: Yeah. The the list is so explosive all the way around Um, even Devers, a, Obviously, from the Northeast, you get to watch him on a nightly basis. It's it's kind of surreal, the stuff that he does, even as, like, dealing with all his homework and stuff. So just watching him is really fun.
0: And I think that kind of what Jimmy touched on with, with comparing Nolan to Goldie, about the fact that they're on the same team, too, and that what Nolan did last year offensively was with the MVP right next to him. Um, so there's a, a, a little factor there with the fact that, you know, He's going to be the guy that gets pitched to over Goldie in those you know circumstances, um, but Manny lost Tatis. He didn't have Tatis. He had half a year of Soto last year, um, but now this year he's going to have a full year of Soto, a full year of Bogarts, a, and a half year of Tatis, which is only going to make him you know even more lethal. So I feel like we've seen last year is like Nolan's peak year, I, I think outside of Cores, that's his peak, um, but I think that Manny's peak is yet to be seen uh, on that Padres team. Now, Brad, I'll let you run through our top five uh, in the outfielders, starting with left field.
2: So left field, number five is Michael Brantley. Number four is Ian Happ. Three, Tyler Wade. Taylor Wade, my apologies. Number two, Stephen Kwan. And number one, Kyle Schwarber. Uh, my, I think Schwarber is kind of – as long as he plays sub-defense, sub, sub defense, like just a little bit below league average, it's going to be tough for somebody to topple him unless somebody from another position, center fielder, right field comes over and plays left field because what he does at the plate is just um, a huge impact for Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, I'd argue this is probably one of the, like the weaker positions, top five, but when you look at you know Stephen Kwan, right, I mean, terrific rookie season, incredible defender, uh, and I think that Schwarber, I mean, he – Probably will get some time at DH this year. I, I don't see him being that full-time, everyday left fielder. I think, you know, I'm sure he'll play a majority of his games in left field. But ultimately, uh, you know, it's not the greatest position of our top fives. But, you know, there's still some good contributors on that list, guys that can play multiple positions. I appreciate
0: Brad sticking to his shtick of messing up names in season three. That was a really like, one of my favorite parts of season 2. And now we've got Tyler Wade in our top 5 left fielders. So that's that's Taylor Ward at number 3 everybody, not Tyler Wade. This is not there's not a most handsome man in baseball list which Tyler Wade would be up. No, I I think that this is by far the weakest position in baseball. I mean, we've got at number 5 a guy who didn't touch a baseball last year after April. So I'm it's a it's a fine list that you'd like to see some more guys you know just available to pick from, um, but you know, Quan is a, a young superstar over there. Schwarber obviously is one of the prolific power threats in the game, and Taylor Ward, he, real underrated. And you go take a look at that guy's baseball seventh page; it's ridiculous. He's in like the eighty fifth plus percentile in almost everything. And the league. So he's a a guy that I he's kind of had like a little bit of a breakout, but I think you could see a a huge breakout coming from him uh, in in the coming year here.
2: So back to center field, uh, number five is Brian Reynolds. Number four, Brandon Nimmo. Number three, Michael Harris, the second, number two, Julio Rodriguez and number one, Michael Trout. Um, I think that Michael Harris is definitely going to stick there at three. It's going to be hard to top Trout or Julio, but I think he's going to be a mainstay there at the top three positions for uh, the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that there. That top three is pretty locked up, right? You look at three guys that can you know do very well on the defensive end and the offensive end, obviously being a Mets fan, wearing a NIMO shirt, uh, you know, obviously, you know, He's worked his way up the ranks so quickly. I don't think he was a top ten center fielder going into 2022, and now he's four. Uh, he's really Im- improved defensively. The main, you know, the, the name, the name of the game for him is just stay healthy. You know, when he's out there and healthy, playing 140 plus games, you know, he could make this top five again next year.
0: This is gonna sound crazy, but I think that this could be the last year that Mike Trout is number one in the top five center fielders. I think that when we do this at the end of the year, it might be Julio Rodriguez. Um, I mean, Trout played not very much last year and still hit 40 home runs, which is incredible. He's clearly still got it. Um, but I think that J-Rod is coming. J-Rod had a, a great rookie year. He came in hot, and I think he's only going to get better. So um, even if Mike Trout does make it through this full year as the best center fielder in baseball, I, I think his days there, um, as good as he is, are numbered.
2: Moving over to right field, five Kyle Tucker, four Ronald Acuna Jr., three Juan Soto, two Mookie Betts, and number one the reigning AL MVP Aaron Judge. Um, I really like Kyle Tucker. He's kind of a an afterthought in that lineup with the Altuve's, the Alvarez's, and the um, the Altu- the Altuve's, the Alvarez's, and who's the other guy? I'm forgetting right now.
0: Yeah. Rick you're down the whole lineup of guys just it's full of full of impact guys
2: Kyle Tucker is kind of underrated I feel like he's definitely a guy who can go out there and he could give you 40 bombs in a year but it's just goes unnoticed in that lineup
1: yeah I totally agree I mean he, he definitely goes unnoticed uh, I mean obviously I think Aaron Judge you know it was like like you said Mookie could be that one there but uh, at the end of the day Judge with you know, getting that 60 home run mark, you know, having that OPS well over a thousand. We need Mookie to have, you know, another healthy season. You know, he's kind of had his injury concerns, obviously Judge does too. But like Judge, you know, if Mookie can, you know, play 150 plus games, you know, he could have that one spot.
0: Yeah, I think that it, it's a weird list this year because Harper's not on it. Right on a, a normal year, Harper is on this right field list, um, but you're going to see him on our DH list in just a minute um, because of the elbow issue. So the, the whole list is kind of thrown off based on that. Um, personally, I would take probably Mookie Betts over the, this next year over any of these guys. Um, just Aaron Judge is not going to do what he did again. Um, you know, he's he'll give him give him forty, but Aaron Judge is not going to do what he, he did again. Mookie Betts is your guy who's consistent. You know has the potential to put up 10 more and every given year um but uh, you can't go wrong with judge at one soto obviously has borderline become underrated over there in san diego when you look at guys like manny there you know you mentioned that he might be like third on the fans totem pole and like yeah he's kind of gone forgotten a little bit uh, with how good he is so um this is one of the best positions in baseball by far i think that top three could go in any order but i do think that if bryce harper is healthy and playing right field, he would be in that number one spot.
1: So moving over now uh, to DH, we have uh, J.D. Martinez coming in at five, uh, Giancarlo Stanton at four, uh, Bryce Harper, the aforementioned Harper at three, Shohei Otani at two, and Jordan Alvarez at one. Kind of, you know, a weak position. I mean, you know, not really a defensive position, obviously, but uh, with J.D. Martinez, you know, he's falling off a ton. Uh, You have Harper who's going to miss some time, but – I mean, I think that he could be a one, two uh, there, you know, Shohei kind of fell off a bit, but uh, you know, overall, you know, you'd love to have any, one of these five guys on your team. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, David?
0: I think that it's tough to really rank DHs because there's not that many pure DHs. I mean, DHs, since it's become universal, has kind of become like a rest position or like you'd use it to get your guys a break from being in the field and just keep their bat in the lineup. So you see guys funneling in and out of that DH spot so frequently now that I mean, these are kind of the best five guys that you could pick out that are going to spend most of their time at, at DH. And even our, our number one with Jordan is going to spend 35, 40 percent of the season in, in the field and left field. Um, But, you know, obviously we're looking at Shohei here as purely Shohei Otani, the hitter. This is not like an overall Shohei Otani ranking. So, you know, it's just his offensive prowess. And again, this whole list is thrown off by, you know, Harper missing half the year because a full year of Bryce Harper, you got a real conversation there in the one spot with Jordan just just when it comes to offensive ability. So um, the Harper thing does throw it off. But I, I think that I'm pretty confident in the way that we rank these guys.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what J.D. Martinez does this year because he was, I mean, through May, I think, a little bit through June, he was having a solid year. He had the power there. But then the Red Sox started to take a little tumble. Everybody kind of started scuffling. The team got a lot weaker with injuries and pitching just not being there. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does out in L.A. He'll have a bit more protection, I think, than what the Red Sox lineup offered him. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if he rebounds but.
1: So moving to the utility position, as David said before, you know, they can now have, you know, win a gold glove and have, you know, silver sluggers for those uh, guys that can play multiple positions. So at five, you have uh, Brendan Donovan, you know, a rookie that stepped up in a big way for the Cardinals. Uh, Tommy Edmond at four. Brandon Drury at three, a guy in a breakout year. Always kind of had that potential. Kind of looks like Mike Trout a bit in his stance. Uh, Jeff McNeil at the two. Uh, obviously, being a Mets fan, you know, he, he's a pleasure to have on your team. If he's not on your team, you probably don't like him. And uh, Fernando Tatis at the one spot. Kind of an interesting position when you think about, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they might play 130-plus games at one spot. Like McNeil, you know, he's probably going to be locked up at second base. But if need be, injuries happen, you know, he could move to the corner outfield. He could even play a little bit of third.
0: Yeah, it was kind of tough to determine who fits really into the utility category. Um, But we kind of did our best to – Pick who are the guys that we think not just can move around, but that it's most valuable that they can move around and offer the most with their versatility. um So you might have some guys here where, like Jimmy said, they're McNeil's going to play one thirty there, but it is super super valuable to the Mets that he's able to go move around. Whereas you might have some other guy that can bounce around a little bit, but isn't as important of a factor. And that's where Tatis really comes in, which is super interesting because we have no clue where he's going to play. So these other guys on the list, maybe you can kind of nail down, like, oh, Donovan's going to also spend a lot of time at second base. I couldn't tell you where Tatis is going to play. He can play, like, anywhere on the the diamond because they kind of have everywhere locked up. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, But... uh, Interesting to have utility as like an official position these days.
2: Big Tommy Edmund guy. I feel like he's definitely gonna, he's in the utility now because I think he split like, he was like, he was like 55, I think, at shortstop percentage wise. But I think he's really gonna lock down, being like a face of the, like a turnover face of the, face of the franchise for the Cardinals behind Goldschmidt and behind um, Arenado. He's just really, really good.
0: All right, we lost him there. Let's let's skip they're the rest of that they're one. They're okay, one.
1: Okay, there he is. <laughs> okay, up, so go the pitchers now. You know, like we said, another stack position. At uh, five, you have Max Scherzer, a guy who could, who could easily make his way to the one-two spot if he could stay healthy. You know, he's had his injury concerns, kind of fell off a bit. At uh, four, you have Julio Urias really under the radar guy. Like, you know, you look at these guys numbers in the past two years, you think he's got like, not that wins and losses are really big anymore, but he's got to have like, I don't know, 38 wins and like seven losses. Uh, Corbin Burns, right. Kind of had a bit of a down year, but you know, the strikeouts are still there. The innings are still there. You know, he's an absolute stud at two. uh, A lot of people could say, you know, Justin Verlander should be the one, but we have him at two. He's a bit older uh, coming off, missing almost two years worth of season. I'm going to need to see another uh, year with the Mets of him uh, being dominant. At the one, you have Sandy Alcantara. Uh, you know, he's you know, an incredible pitcher. Six, com- I think last year, six complete games, which is unheard of uh, these days to have six complete games. Some guys, you know, and I don't think uh, Justin Verlander even had one complete game uh, last year. So it's incredible that, you know, he was that durable throughout the season.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's really what sets him apart from Verlander and makes him the number one here is the ability to go deep into games. He loves to go deep in games. He hates to come out of games. He kind of has that Max Scherzer attitude when it comes to coming out of games, but with a much younger arm. Um, so you know his longevity, what he means to, to be able to save the Marlins bullpen there, um, That that's all su- super huge. Uh, and this list is disgusting, man. When you're Your number five pitcher had a 2.29 ERA and a sub one whip on this list is filthy. So I'd love to see what this rotation could do over a full season.
2: Yeah. Urias is uh, my guy here kind of to uh, highlight because he's, I feel like this is going to be the year he really takes that big step where he jolts himself into the conversation legitimately for the Cy Youngs. He's been kind of in it, but he's kind of been on the back end of the I saw young contention in the last couple of years, but I feel like this is the year he's really going to establish himself as one of the premier guys in, in the league.
1: So moving on to relievers, another very loaded list. Uh, at five, you have Felix Bautista, uh, the Orioles, you know, young guy. You know, he really had a great year. I expect more from him uh, moving forward. He's still very young. Uh, Jordan Romano, kind of a ex- uh, very exciting pitcher, uh, to watch, you know, comes in late in games, uh, can really lock things down. Devin Williams at the three, uh, he, he kind of falls under the radar for the Brewers. Um, I think this is going to be his first year, I'd say, as being that kind of that everyday closer. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, his name's going to come up a lot more. He'll become more of a household name, even though he's been so dominant for so long. Um, then you have Emmanuel Classe, right, the young Guardians closer at two. Uh, he's incredible. He can make an argument that if Edwin Diaz, the number one guy, wasn't, what he was in 2022, even a tick back class A could be that one guy, but Diaz absolutely filthy last year. Uh, You'd expect him, you know, he's a big confidence guy. Once he gets locked in, you know, he could keep it going for months on end. Um, Obviously that works in the other way. If he's down, you know, he's not going to be good for the next few months, but uh, at the end of the day, I think his confidence is where it should be. Uh, He's kind of that Mariano Rivera-esque type guy in New York, you know, his confidence is way up now. And I think he's going to run with that going forward.
0: I think that's a super bold statement to, uh, to call a Mariano Rivera-esque. That's, that's a, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that's a very bold statement. Um, but this is this is kind of a position where guys are so up and down on a year-to-year basis um, that a projection comes into you know, ranking these guys a, a little bit more than in other positions, just because relievers are so touch and go. Um, so that's when you see guys like Felix Bautista, who maybe you haven't heard of you know, very much, where Brad and I have watched him extensively. And you, know, you kind of look at, okay, this guy took over a closer role last year, um, was absolutely dominant, um, but was only a closer for a little while. Now you've got this OS team turning a corner where he's gonna have a ton more save opportunities, be the closer for the full year. And you can kind of put some projection in there. Um, so that, that that's where you see guys like that, but this is a, a tough one to rank, but um, the, this would be a heck of a bullpen if you put these guys together.
2: What other rookie has a late show in his debut year? It's, it's just gonna be Felix Bautista, baby. It's uh, for for me though. I like Classe. That dude is just—he is gross. You watch him go out there whenever whenever the Guardians have the lead. It's one whether it's one run or two runs, doesn't matter. That is locked down. It's over. It's he's he's just nasty to watch.
0: Pitch. And that wraps up the uh, top fives at each position. So. Um, Building off of that are our first and second team preseason all MLB teams. So second team, our catcher is Adley Rutschman. Our first baseman is Paul Goldschmidt. Our second baseman is Andres Jimenez. Our shortstop is Carlos Correa. Third baseman is Nolan Arenado. Left field is Stephen Kwan. Center field, Julio Rodriguez. Right field, Mookie Betts. DH, Shohei Otani. Starting pitcher is Justin Verlander. The relief pitcher is Emmanuel Classe, and the utility is Jeff McNeil. Uh, On the other side, the first team, so are the true all-MLB team. JT Romulo is behind the dish. Freddie Freeman is at first base. Jose Altuve is at second. Trey Turner is at shortstop. Manny Machado is at third base. Left field is Kyle Schwarber. Next to him in center is Mike Trout, and Aaron Judge brings up the outfield you uh, Jordan Alvarez is the DH, Sandy Alcantara is the starting pitcher. Edwin Diaz is coming in to close it out and Fernando Tatis is hopping around as a utility player. Who wins that series guys? Who wins the uh all MLB series?
1: That's tough to say. I mean both teams are are, are filthy. Um head to head I I'd probably go uh, the first team only because you know they they kind of have that edge. Uh, when you think about the utility DH, I, I'd say, you know, bold take, but I'd say Yordan's a significantly better offensive player than Shohei is. Um, I mean, obviously Shohei's incredible, but I'd take Yordan in a heartbeat just the DH um, over Shohei. So what what are your thoughts, Brad?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with team two because it'll be a 3-3 game in the eighth, and then Shohei will come in, he'll pitch, and then he'll hit a walk-off run.
0: That's true. They do have another yes. arm sitting there. They got a sneaky third arm. So, uh, but no, I'm I'm going second team as well. I think in a, a big game situation, Justin Verlander throwing to Adley Rutschman is never a loss. So uh, I'm I'm going to go second team. If if this is a one game Super Bowl type thing, if we got a whole series here, maybe maybe we go first team. But I take second here. All right, that wraps up season three, episode one. We'll be back um, for the the preseason we're going to go well, once a week we'll kind of pop in do fun things like this um, and then we'll get into that, that typical episode format that we ran down at the start of the episode once the regular season starts so thank you for watching check us out on social media at ctbppod and we'll see you back next week with episode two